This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. In this study, we sought to find a set of circulating molecules in the blood of individuals who were cognitively normal that would allow us to predict who in the next several years will develop cognitive impairment or Alzheimer's disease. And that is exactly what we found. It's being hailed as a game changer in the fight against Alzheimer's, a simple blood test that can predict the disease years before symptoms appear. But there's currently no cure for Alzheimer's, so the question is, would you even want to know? Today I'll be joined by Mimi Lowe-Young, the CEO of the Alzheimer's Society of Canada, and Sharon Roselle, whose family has been devastated by the disease. Plus, we thought it was a dead issue, but now the prospect of Quebec's separation is back on the front burner. And as a generation, it's Quebecois Zoomers who are most strongly behind the push to leave Canada. We'll find out more from journalist and Université de Montréal professor Pierre Martin. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A Toronto doctor is being celebrated as a hero after giving as good as she got while addressing a U.S. Senate subcommittee earlier this week. Dr. Danielle Martin of Women's College Hospital issued a vigorous defense of Canada's publicly funded health system under tough questioning from Republican Senator Richard Burr, a vocal opponent of Obamacare. On average, how many Canadian patients on a waiting list die each year? Do you know? I don't, sir, but I know that there are 45,000 in America who die waiting because they don't have insurance at all. How often do you forget where you put your keys or the reason you walked into a room? Many of us have these so-called senior moments, and now a study out of Germany says we shouldn't worry about them. Researchers found that only about 20% of people who experience these momentary lapses go on to have a serious diagnosis of Alzheimer's or dementia. Another win for a Guelph, Ontario author we've featured here on the program. 70-year-old Thomas King has won the $25,000 RBC Taylor Prize for nonfiction for The Inconvenient Indian. The book recently also won the $40,000 British Columbia National Award for Canadian nonfiction. King, who is of Greek and Cherokee descent, says he hopes the awards for the book will prompt a serious conversation about the state of Native peoples in Canada. One of the Rolling Stones is writing a children's book. Keith Richards, the musician who came to define the adult-only lifestyle of rock stars, has a deal with Little Brown Books for young readers. It's for a picture story called Gus and Me, the story of my granddad and my first guitar. The book will include illustrations by Richards' daughter, Theodora. Gus is Gus Dupree, Keith Richards' beloved musician grandfather. 
Keith Richards is 70 and has five grandchildren of his own. He wrote at length about his grandfather's influence on his career in his best-selling memoir, Life. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. What would you do if you knew you were going to get Alzheimer's disease? Would you even want to know? Those questions are becoming real now that U.S. researchers have developed a blood test that can predict with 90% accuracy whether someone will develop the disease within three years. For a look at those tough questions, I talked to Sharon Roselle, a 61-year-old caregiver whose family has been ravaged by Alzheimer's, and Mimi Lowy-Young, chief executive of the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. I'd want to know myself because I'd want to live my life now and not wait until I get the disease and do things I want to do, you know, and get my finances in order and everything else, you know, get ready for, you know, what's going to happen. Mimi, what was your reaction when you heard about this blood test? Well, from the Alzheimer's Society of Canada perspective, um, we thought that the blood test is promising, uh, but it's early days, and we'd really want to see more research and have more people involved in actually uh, assessing the test. Would you want to know? Well, it's interesting because um, my uh, my late mother died of uh, vascular dementia, and uh, yeah, I think so. I'd want more research done, um, but I too, uh, like Sharon, would want to know about the potential uh, of getting the disease so I could plan my life uh, as she said. It sounds very promising, 90% accuracy, but that's 10% inaccuracy, which probably means false positives. You know, that means conceivably you could be told that you're going to get Alzheimer's in three years and it won't happen. Absolutely. But there is a, a more of a chance that I will get it. So I'd go by that. What do you think of that, Mimi, the the potential for, you know, what would turn out to be a lot of false positives if you imagine that this test would become something uh, fairly routine? So uh, I think precisely to the point of wanting to do more research in the, in this area to better understand and really get, get a better sample, uh, a much larger sample size to be able to confirm that this blood test can be predictive. What do you think uh, the ethical issues raised by a test like this are? First of all, whether to take the test or not, uh, it's a difficult decision to make. But I think it gives people the opportunity to make choices. The other thing is uh, the impact on personal decisions, on relationships, whether somebody has children, what are the impacts on finances, lifestyle choices. I think the other issue is um, a potentially impact on people's ability to get insurance and employment benefits and what it does to one's employment uh, could be an issue. And again, what's uh, issues around the right to privacy and confidentiality? I mean, who should be notified about the results? What, how, how do you involve family members, insurance companies? All that becomes a, a, a huge issue. And the other issue around uh, the ethical uh, piece is the potential exploitation of, of individuals who are concerned about developing the disease, uh, how that would be addressed. Sharon, do any of those things worry you? For as far as employment issues, uh, yeah, absolutely. If you were to find such a thing out, do you think it would change your relationships? I think we'd probably get closer together than, you know, than ever. Because I know that's an issue. I've yeah. talked to people and um, 
what a lot of them tell me is that uh, as soon as they tell people about their diagnosis, they start to lose their friends. We hear the stories, as you described it, of, of people uh, pulling away from individuals who once have the diagnosis. So our effort over the past few years, and, and it's been our major uh, campaign, awareness campaign, is to reduce the stigma of the disease. You talk about if you know in advance there there is treatment you might try, but isn't that all experimental? There's nothing proven that, that will prevent dementia or the treatment that can be given before there are symptoms, is there? Uh, correct. Uh, there are no, no treatments uh, uh, at the present time. There are some drugs that have been found to uh, reduce the progress of the disease once the disease is diagnosed. What would you say to people who say, I don't want to know? Well, I, I think that's a, a difficult question to answer in terms of whether people will want to know. And actually, right now, nearly 50% delay getting a diagnosis of the disease, even having exactly. the disease. We know that there just needs to be more research and more funding of research uh, in Canada. I would say, why wouldn't you want to know? Why not enjoy the moment now? Um, well, how many people wait until they're stricken with any type of disease, and they regret that after? Okay, ladies, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye now. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Nearly 20 years after the Quebec referendum of 1995, the idea of separatism is once again sweeping the province. And Zoomers are the largest cohort behind the notion of a sovereign Quebec. In just a moment, we'll hear more from politics professor and journalist Pierre Martin. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. English Canada believed the crisis was dormant, if not dead. But now the prospect of another referendum on Quebec sovereignty has come to the fore in the midst of the Quebec election campaign. It's partly a generational thing. The consensus is if there is another push for separation, it will be driven by Zoomers. I reached Université de Montréal political scientist Pierre Martin to talk about demographics and identity in Quebec. The vast majority of Francophone Quebecers think of themselves first and uh, for many uh, of them only uh, in reference to Quebec as a, as a collectivity. This used to be different, and, and the pre-baby boom generation, for example, uh, used to think of themselves as either Canadien-Francais or French-Canadian or Canadians, uh, and gradually this primary focus of identity uh, shifted towards uh, Quebec. Part of this is the result of the Quiet Revolution. Since uh, that uh, historic turn in the 60s and 70s, most of the people who acquired their identity uh, have tended to identify primarily toward Quebec. That would be the baby boomers. Do the younger people see themselves the same way as Quebecers? Or yes. are, yes. The younger generation have been less uh, prone to associate directly this, this identity with the political project of sovereignty and and it's partly due to the fact that for the past 20 years or so well for for 
the whole period following the, the, the second referendum of 1995, the uh, issue of sovereignty seemed to be put on a shelf. But now that it is in the process of returning, one can't necessarily predict how this new generation will participate. The commentary that I've seen basically says that if there is a referendum, it's basically the baby boomers that would be pushing it through. They are a very numerous. I mean, they, they, they form a large chunk of the population, but they would by no means be sufficient. This is the first generation that came to age at a time when the view of the future, everything seemed to be open, and the question of sovereignty seemed to be the bright light shining somewhere in, in the not-so-distant future. And that's how they formed their political identity uh, early in, say, late adolescence or early adulthood. But, uh, and then things sort of got clogged and uh, things sort of got uh, more complicated and it, it became more difficult to associate oneself with, with uh, a movement that seemed destined to, ad- to advance with no end in sight. At this point, the question is whether they can actually recreate the same kind of enthusiasm that have led to the early growth of the movement in the new generations. And that's, uh, again, that remains to be seen. In the rest of Canada, certainly, we have the phenomenon where when it comes to voting, boomers and older people vote, younger people do not vote. Uh, Is the same thing true in Quebec? And, And wouldn't that influence a referendum? In general, it is. It's been true in elections, but you have to make a very special distinction for the referendum. In 1995, for example, one has to be very conscious of the fact that 94% of the population showed up to vote, uh, of, the, uh, of the electorate showed up to, showed up to vote. So that, that includes a good 20 or, or so percent of people who very rarely or never show up for these kinds of things. What will the role of of demographics and the baby boom generation be? Well, it will be important because, as I said, um, uh, what the Parti Québécois is counting on is the fact that the new generation, the people who came of age since the last referendum, have grown and have come into adult age in a very different environment than the, their predecessors. For the portion of the electorate that will make the decision, it's not about the survival of Canada, it will be about what's best for Quebec. Mm -hmm. And there's still quite a bit of opinion that even though people think of themselves first as Quebecers and they don't particularly uh, feel attached to Canada or feel that it's particularly relevant or important to them, uh, they still might be convinced that it's too costly, too much trouble. They would vote no, in, in a sense, because... It doesn't seem to them like the preferable or the, the, the best option, but it would not be in a sense of belonging to Canada as a community, but just because it's the most uh, sensible option for Quebecers, for Quebec. Okay. It's, it might sound a, a little shocking for part of the opinion in the rest of the country, but that's how the block of voters that are in the middle of Quebec, of the Quebec electorate, that's how they think. And, and uh, even though there are about 30-some percent 
who will always be in support of Canada and 30-some percent who will always vote for sovereignty. It's those in the middle that will make the decision. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review. James Taylor, one of the great artists of the Zoomer generation, celebrated a birthday this week. Coming up, we'll pay tribute with one of his iconic tunes. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Woody Allen's Bullets Over Broadway has been turned into a musical. It stars three-time Tony nominee Marin Maisie. Co-star Zach Braff says working with director and choreographer Susan Stroman is a special experience. Set is so elaborate and, and intricate and moving that you watch Stroman's brain like putting this giant Tetris puzzle piece together. Bullets over Broadway's and previews at St. James Theatre on West 44th Street. In the Windy City, the work of revered Indian artist Nalima Sheikh is on display at the Art Institute of Chicago. The exhibition features a series of eight banners painted by the artist on both the magical history and contentious present of Kashmir. And in Egypt, see the latest collection of renowned artist George Bagheri called Nostalgic Dreams. It showcases the artist's latest collection inspired by the current times Egypt is living through and past memories. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Date Book. This week, the iconic Zoomer folk singer James Taylor celebrated his 66th birthday. Over his career, he's released 16 studio albums, won five Grammys, been inducted into both the Songwriters Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, received an honorary doctorate from the Berklee College of Music, and earned himself a spot on Rolling Stone magazine's list of 100 greatest artists of all time. Right now, we'll celebrate his birthday with one of his earliest hits. It's from his 1970 album, Sweet Baby James. Here is Fire and Rain. Just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. I walked out this morning and I wrote down this song. I just can't remember who to send it to. Thought I'd see you one more time again. There's just a few things coming my way this time around now. Thought I'd see you, thought I'd see you now. That was James Taylor with Fire and Rain. The iconic Zoomer folk singer celebrated his 66th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snyder. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Vandria. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. 
Heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.